Let's give it up for King Jesus this morning. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on, you can do, yeah, you can do better than that. I mean, I almost had like five different spells over there. And no, not Harry Potter spells. Or any, like, I'm just over there and we're singing, all we're doing is singing about Jesus. And like the, the song, Jesus at the center, be, the, be, the, be at the center of it all. Like that, that, that's, that's the ultimate goal because he's already at the center. Like he, he's already at the center. It, it may not look like it, but he's already at the center because through his death and his resurrection, he claimed I'm at the center of it all. I'm just giving everybody an opportunity to be aware of I'm at the center of it all because one of these days he's going to come back and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is the center of it all. So I'm telling you, I almost had a spell there. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, that we, we serve the king of glory. Oh, man, I'm getting chill bumps just thinking about it. All right. Well, first, first Kings 19, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me there. First Kings 19, we're in our series, Transitions. Uh, we will be in this series through probably mid-August. And we're basically trying to tackle every possible transition that you or me or us would, would ever go through. Now, today we're going to be talking about burnout. Everybody say burnout. burnout. All right. And so I, I, I've brought some glasses with me. And so uh, guess who, guess who this little glass represents? Uh, you. That's who that little glass represents. Who do you think this big glass represents? Jesus, that's right. Like anytime I ask you a question, just say Jesus and you're 99% likely to get it right. So, so that big glass is Jesus. And so what, what I want to talk about is how life gets sucked out of us. So when you think about family and marriage and children and work and extracurricular activities, don't you think about all, all of the the subcategories of those major areas of our life. I want you to think about cooking and cleaning. All right, let me ask you this. Who does the primary cooking in the house? Just raise your hand, raise your hand. Yeah, primary cooking. All right, how many men do the primary cooking? Any men? Oh, wow, okay, I'm coming up, yeah, all right. I'm gonna come and learn from you because I only can cook a few things. Bless Joni's heart. So uh, eggs, pretty good at that. Waffles, frozen, I mean, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's great, great. So, but you think about cooking, think about cleaning. I, I don't know about you, but, uh, but our house gets messy. Anybody else's house get messy? Yeah, I mean, they, oh yeah, it's just a mess. Uh, the other thing that I'm thinking about is tension in our marriages. Because there might be seasons in our life where, where we're not communicating as well as we once did. And so there's some tensions. Maybe there's some financial struggles. I understand with inflation. I mean, people are, are, are struggling even more so financially these days. Maybe changes in American culture over the last 30, 40, 50 years. Maybe even the last few years. Maybe American politics. Man, it's kind of wore you, wore you out. Maybe you have a high maintenance friend and you're like, good night. Like, why, why are you taking that so seriously? Or listen, I still love you. I just, I, I just can't respond to every text. I mean, whatever it may be, but high maintenance friend, maybe aging parents, maybe a work project. Man, you're just burning the candles at both ends because you, you have a deadline that you have to meet. Maybe you lost your job or maybe you're trying to find a better job and maybe you, you had a lead and you're like, oh man, this is going to be amazing. And then you find out they went with the other person and you're like, oh my gosh, I put so much mental and emotional like exertion into that. Maybe 
drama in your life. Uh, maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's at church. Maybe it's just busyness. Maybe you're doing this, doing that, running here, running there. And all of these things, guess what has happened? You have had the life sucked out of you. And that's a lot of people's lives right there. So you think about all the things that you do. Here's my question. Here's what I want us to process. Because that's a change. See, change is situational. When you're empty, that's situational. Transition is psychological. You've got to process, all right, I'm empty. I'm depleted. I'm exhausted. I'm stressed out. I'm burnt out. And so I'm this. So you have to process, how do I have feeling and flourishing in my life. And that's what we are going to learn today through the prophet of Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. Elijah's name means Yahweh is God. And Elijah, he was a godly man, one of the most important prophets in all of Israel's history. So he was a great preacher. Everybody looked up to Elijah. Elijah connected with God like no other in his time. Now, prior to his burnout, Elijah had experienced like victory after victory. Elijah, he had predicted a three-year drought which did come to pass. During that drought, God feeds him by birds day and night for a significant portion. I mean, just think about it. Everybody else is starving, but God's feeding you with birds. I mean, like birds will come, drop off some food, you eat it up, next day, same thing. I mean, mirac- you know, m- miraculous. Uh, when the water dried up, God told him to go to this widow in Zarephath. And, and there he's going to take care of Elijah through this widow and her child. Well, so he does that. Well, while he's there, the widow's child dies and Elijah goes into his room, lays on him. The next thing you know, the son is raised to life. And then he faces off against Ahab and the prophets of Baal, 450 of them to be exact on Mount Carmel because they're trying to decide who's God. Is Baal God or is Yahweh, is he God? Now, what was so fascinating about this is that the whole idea was to to see whose God was real. And so you had 450 prophets of Baal, They they do their thing and then they start calling on Baal to rain down fire, to consume the altar. Well, well, nothing's happening. And Elijah, he's over there, he's like poking the bear going, well, is your God on vacation? Is he relieving himself? Like, well, what's going on? And then the next thing, he's like, all right, you guys done? You guys done? I mean, you kind of wore yourself out. You're cutting yourself. You're doing all of this stuff. L- let me just go ahead and take a turn. And then he calls down fire from heaven and the fire of God literally consumes everything, consumes the altar, consumes the animals, consumes the water. And then the next thing you know, Everybody is chanting, Elijah, 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 Elijah. And what are they saying? Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. He's had this incredible season of victory. But what what we will see this morning is in 1 Kings 19, we find him there. He's exhausted. He's empty, he's depleted, he's burned out. And so here's the main point that we will flesh out this morning. So if you're ready, tell your neighbor that you're ready. If you don't have a neighbor, you can tell me that you're ready. I'll listen to you. (laughs) 
When life sucks the life out of you, you'll need the giver of life to breathe life back into you. See, so when life sucked the life out of you, you'll need the giver of life. You, you see, one of the things that I love is this picture in Genesis. Where in Genesis 2, where Adam is laying there lifeless and God, he hovers over him just like he had hovered over the face of the deep in Genesis 1. And now God, he's hovering over Adam and he breathes life into Adam. So when we, when we get here, when we are stressed out, when we are depleted, when we are exhausted, when we are burned out, what we will need is that we will need the giver of life who has this never ending stream of life to give. We'll need him to breathe life back in to us. Now, before I, I tell you how he can do that, here's what I want to do. I want to give you signs that, that you've had life sucked out of you. Like, I, I want to give you signs. Like, this is how you can tell if, if you've had the life sucked out of uh, you. So 1 Kings 19, verse 1, here's what we read. Now, Ahab told Jezebel, everybody say Jezebel. All right, we'll call her Jezzy, just for short. That's her nickname, Jezzy. So now Ahab told Jezzy everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Man, Jezzy, let me tell you, Elijah, he's had this incredible victory, defeated all of our prophets. So verse two, <laughs> oh, oh, Jezzy, she's upset. She sends a Facebook message to Elijah and says this, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, Queen Jezzy says, Elijah, I'm coming after you. You are a marked man. If you're not dead at this time tomorrow, may, may I be dead. I'm coming after you with all vengeance. Verse three, Elijah was what? Bro, like Elijah, what? Elijah, you, you just defeated 450 men. I'd like to see this woman, Jezzy, wouldn't you? Like, what does she look like? I mean, on one hand, you got 450 prophets. You defeated them, killed them with the sword. On the other hand, you got Jezzy. She's like, I'm coming after you, big boy. You're going to be dead. Oh, my gosh. Like, I mean, like Elijah. Doesn't make any sense. Listen, women, I know you're scary, but you're not that scary. So Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. What are the signs that you've had the life sucked out of you? Sign number one, fear. Fear. Fear can manifest itself in worry, concern, distress, maybe even foreboding joy that you're just waiting for something bad to happen. Here, Elijah, he's afraid. He shouldn't be afraid, but he is. Like this, this is the man of God. This is the pastor. This is the prophet of Israel. This is the man full of faith, full of courage. Yet he's afraid. One woman, afraid. He's fretting, not trusting. He's worried, not worshiping. He's fearful and he's not faithful. 
When you look at this picture of Elijah, there's no joy in Elijah. There's no faith in Elijah. There's no worship in Elijah. Listen, here's how you know that part of your life is being sucked out of you is because you have no joy. Your joy has been sucked out. There's, you've been robbed of it somehow. And you're constantly finding yourself fretting. You're constantly finding yourself worried about whatever it may be. You're just afraid and you live life in that zone, especially when you are depleted. That's sign number one. Sign number two, withdrawal. So he runs away. So he runs away from the playing field. He runs away from his calling. He runs away from what God wants him to do. So he's depleted. He's exhausted to the point where he's like, I'm just, I got I to get out of here. I got to get out of Dodge. Now, Monday, Monday mornings are notorious for pastors and being the Monday morning blues. You say, well, what's the Monday morning blues for pastors? Well, if you think about pastors, I mean, and here's the other thing that's always funny because pe- people would say, well, pastors only work during the weekend, you know, like on Sundays. Well, I mean, it's a little bit more than that, but it definitely is a work day because we want to be spent and spend ourselves for the glory of King Jesus for the good of others. And so we, we work tirelessly to develop a message that God has put on our heart so that well, we can share it with God's people and others. And then, you know, the weekend comes and, and that is, that is yeah, that, that's the big day where well, we, are, we are telling people what God has put on our heart to tell you. And so the Monday morning blues are us looking back at the weekend and going, oh my gosh, I wish I said that. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I said it that way. Oh my gosh, do you remember that person slipped me a note? It was really negative. Oh my gosh, did you see that negative comment? Like, and then we, we start kind of cycling and going, oh, and we feel so, uh, we, we feel so down, so depleted, we want to quit. Now, here's the thing that has really happened in the last three years with pastors is that more and more pastors want to quit because ministry has become so overwhelming. They're actually living out the Monday morning blues. Well, that's Elijah. He just wants to quit. So he is withdrawing. You see, when life gets sucked out of you, you just want to quit. Maybe you want to quit work. Maybe you're kind of there right now. Like you're, you're dreading going to work tomorrow. And then you'll go begrudgingly. You'll go there. You, you will have no joy the entire day and you will come home. And some of you, you actually might even be in tears because you are so burned out at work. You just want to quit. Maybe parenting. Listen, let's just, let's just be honest. There are times, it's, and it doesn't matter if you have young kids or, or teenagers. It's just different problems. Amen. And you get wore out to the point where you just want to throw up your hair. It's like, I, I'm done. And like some of you moms, you're like, dad, you better get your butt in there and you better do something. I can't do it. I'm just done. <laughs> maybe, maybe you want to quit your marriage. And, you're, and maybe, here's the thing. You're burned out in life. It has seeped over into your marriage and you think it would be just better to quit your marriage. Or maybe, just maybe, you just want to quit life. And you're done. See, when you withdraw, you become ineffective. The third sign is this, isolation. Everybody say isolation. See, Elijah, he ran for his life. But listen, 
When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he's going further into the desert, further into the wilderness all alone. He has no one, even his servant, by his side. He's like, bro, stay here. I've, I, I've just got, I've got to go away. I've I, I got to be all alone. Josh, what does that look like today? Well, you just completely emotionally shut yourself off from everybody. And you just isolate yourself. Sure, you, you come home and you have, you have a spouse, you have, you have kids, but, but you're not emotionally connected because you are isolated yourself. I want you to understand this about isolation. Isolation is the breeding grounds to infidelity. And infidelity, and infidelity can be much more than just being unfaithful to your spouse. It could be unfaithful to your kids. It can be unfaithful to your work. It can be unfaithful to God. You see, when you get alone all by yourself and you have been depleted and you can't think straight, which we'll see here in just a second, that isolation, that isolation is breeding grounds to infidelity. And then the fourth sign is depression. He says, I have had enough. Take my life, Lord. When you read who Elijah was and you hear that statement that he makes that, Lord, just take my life. It's illogical. It's irrational. He has completely lost perspective. And can I just say this? He is in a crisis and whenever we get into a crisis, and burnout is a crisis, the last thing you do is make sense. And one of the things that I've seen in my life is that when you do make a decision in crisis, it's usually not a very good decision because you cannot think straight. And here's Elijah, he cannot think straight. Not, not, nothing he thinks is going on good in his life. He has, been, he has been set on this trajectory because of one woman making one statement and he has spiraled out of control. He is not in a healthy place. Our country is not in a healthy place. Our families... We are burned out. In a recent New York Times article, here's what the headline read. New report confirms most working parents are burned out. A new report says that 66% of working parents meet the criteria for parental burnout. 66%. We're burned out on politics. In a recent CNN poll, 53% of Americans describe themselves as burned out on politics. They want to hear another thing. And then they're burned out in their work. In a recent Fortune article, here's what the headline reads. The great resignation is sparking fears of a great burnout that could cripple America's workforce. What do you think? That's America. That's, and that's you. You're, you're part of that. 
And then if you think about the youth generation, just think about Generation Z, those born between 1997 and 2012. So those between the ages of 10 and 25. Here's what we know about Gen Z. They are more lonely, more isolated, struggling with purpose and identity. And then here's what they even say. In a, in a 2018 survey, teens 13 to 17 years old report that 70% of respondents see anxiety and depression as a major problem among their teens, among their peers. We are living in a culture with no joy, no life, no energy, no grit, no hope. This is where our nation is. Maybe this is where you are. And here's what our culture is saying. And our culture is saying, all right, so you're, you're, you're dealing with isolation. You're dealing with depression. You're dealing with stress. You're dealing with anxiety. You're dealing with all that. Here, here's a pill. Here's medication. Once you just get medicated, and here, here in my heart, there are some of you that are dealing with mental illness and depression. Yes, you need a counselor and you might need medication. But here's what our culture wants to do. They want, they want to, they want to, in some sense, give you not really the root source of what's going to heal you, but something to medicate you. See, our culture does not need medicine. We actually need to return to the master. So let me just repeat once again. There are times where some of you, and some of you engaging online, you may need medicine. But I want to tell you, the numbers that we're reading, we don't need medicine. We need Jesus. So you say, well, how, Josh? Well, what are the steps? I'm glad that you asked. What are the steps? Here's what Elijah would tell if he was here sitting right next to me this morning. Here's what he would counsel us. Here's the things that he would tell us to do if we want God, if we want Jesus, if we want Yahweh to pour life, to breathe life back into us. First and foremost, number one, here's the first step Elijah would say we need to take. You need to rest and eat. Look in verse five and eight. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. This is the first occurrence of angel food cake right here. Boom, right there. (laughs) I know that was cheesy, but angel comes, bakes some bread, boom. Elisha wakes up, there it is. I bet you that was some good bread. That was heavenly bread there. (laughs) And then he has a jar of water. And then he ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. I wonder what he would have made that time. Maybe a big juicy steak. I don't know. But he, but he, he says, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Don't, don't miss this. One of the godliest things that you and I can do is to rest and eat. One of the godliest things that you can do today You can go home, eat your nice little lunch, and then go get in bed, get on the couch and take a nap. And everybody said, and that will be a very godly thing. (laughs) Well, my wife won't let me. Will you tell your wife to call Pastor Josh because (laughs) Pastor Josh said, (laughs) 
Well, you know, Pastor Josh, you just, I mean, I got a dirty house. That dirty house can wait. So I tell my wife all the time, it's going to be dirty tomorrow. You ain't got to kill yourself today. <laughs> Embedded in creation, our God, who never tires, never grows weary, on day seven, what did he do? He rested. Why in the world do we think as a, as a human being, we can, in some sense, work nonstop in all of these areas and never get tired or burned out? If our God embodied in creation how we should rest. The second step, so, you just, so the first step, when you rest, here's what God's gonna tell you to do, rest and eat, so he's going, so if you do that, You'll, you'll have some life breathed back into you. The second step is this. You need to go get a larger, higher perspective. So the angel touches, touches him the second time. Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. I'm, if I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, well, what journey? Where, 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 where am I going? And here's what he tells him. I want you, I want you to go to Mount Horab, the mountain of God. So, so for 40 days, he travels to Mount Horab. You say, Josh, what, what is Mount Horab? Well, Mount Horab is another name for Mount Sinai. Well, you say, well, Josh, what happened on Mount Sinai? Well, years earlier, there was a man by the name of Moses. Everybody say Moses. Moses, he went up on Mount Sinai and he met with God. And while he was meeting with God, God gave him 10 commandments. It's also at that mountain where Moses asked to see God's glory. Like, God, I need to see your glory. Hey, we're headed to the promised land. I don't want to go to the promised land with these stubborn people if you're not going to go with us. So I need your presence. I need your power. I need your promises and I need to see your glory. That's what happened on Mount Sinai. And now Elijah is being told by this angel to go to Mount Sinai, to go to Mount Horeb so that he can get a larger and more divine and higher perspective. You see, when we have the life sucked out of us, we don't think clearly. We don't have a good perspective. So we need to go to the one who has a greater and higher and more divine perspective than us in our finite minds. Over a year ago, so it was January, February of last year, I had finished year three at Wheaton College and that, had, that was what I had committed to my boss. And we were talking about what does the future look like and he had asked me, do you wanna go back and pastor? And I said, absolutely. Well, so the Lord had opened up actually a, a door that I didn't even see coming and a mentor coach of mine who is a senior pastor out in Monterey, California, we started talking about what it would look like for me to be his successor. And so we started talking, uh, Joni and I, we flew out there of December 2020, and then in January 2021, I flew back out, spent a whole week with him, his staff, and some of his key leaders. I came back, I'm so excited. I mean, oh my gosh, this is Monterey, California. Beautiful, if you've ever been there. The church, I mean, amazing, healthy church, run a few thousand. I mean, this is, this is, uh, this is amazing. Wow, Lord, look at what you're doing. I, I came back so excited. Well, when I came back, I was scheduled to preach where I was a teaching pastor part-time. Well, that Sunday, they were supposed to announce the new pastor that they were calling. Well, Something happened, he, he called the previous week and he dropped out. 
So after I preach that Sunday, I'm down and I'm just kind of hanging out at the front. The chair of the search team comes up to me. We knew each other, we're good friends. And he said, hey, will you wait on making a decision about California because we wanna look at you and another guy to be our senior pastor here. So I go home and I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what do I do? So I, so I go to Joni, I'm like, Joni, th this is what Jim said. What do I do? Like, I mean, oh my gosh, I mean, Kevin's about to offer me this, this position officially. And now Jim's coming to me and saying, hey, can you wait? What do I do? And she said, you know, you know what my wife had the audacity to say? She said, take it up with Jesus. I'm like, woman, I'm taking it up with you right now. I'm like, I wanna, I wanna hear what you have to say. She's like, take it up with Jesus. And I'm like, woman, that's not what I came for you for. But anyways, all right, so I'll take it up with Jesus. So I'm talking to Jesus. Well, that week I get the official offer. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? Cause I gotta respond. And so I actually had to call Kevin to go, here's the deal. Here's what's happened. And Kevin, he counsels me, and, and this, is, this is fun counsel, but he said, don't date two women at the same time. Like, you, you need to make your choice. You, you need to decide, is God calling you here? Or are you going to wait? Or you, you feel like God's asking you to wait on there? But you, you cannot ride the middle. And I'm like, Ugh. I said, can you give me a week? He said, I can give you a week. So a week passes by, and I'm struggling. I'm wrestling. God, where, where are you calling and at the end of the day, I said, all right, Lord, I feel like you're calling me to Shoreline. Well, I tell Joni that. And Joni says, I don't have a piece about going there. I'm like, you told me to take it up with Jesus. I did. Jesus is telling me this. And now you're telling me that you have no peace. And she's like, I have no peace. I cannot, like, I, I cannot go. And so I call Kevin back and I'm like, here's where we are. And I, I think that you want both of us and not just one of us. He's like, yeah, that would be best. <laughs> and so I say no to Shoreline. Now I'm waiting on the church where I am serving as a teaching pastor. I wait a month, no word. Wait another month, no word. A few weeks later, about 10 weeks after I had said no to Shoreline, they decided to go with the other guy. I'm broken. I'm exhausted. I literally go into a state of depression. And I didn't, I, in some sense, I didn't know what it was. I, you know, it, it wasn't until a few weeks after I'm like, I, I, like, I'm having to grieve. And in that time, <laughs> my wife, she, uh, she, gives, she gives me this, uh, this little knickknack. It says, breathe. This is just a chapter not the whole story. It was, it was the perspective that I needed to just breathe. That God has me, he, he knew, he knew. And so fast forward a couple of months later, November and December of 2021, I get an email from Slingshot about Northland Church. but I had to have the proper perspective. And that proper perspective did not come from me, it actually came outside of me through my spouse. Maybe some of you here today, you need to position yourself in a way 
to hear from God in his perspective. That he's bigger than any problem that you will ever face, any news that you will ever receive, any addiction that would ever enslave you, any disappointment or discouragement that would weigh you down, any health issue, any challenge, any mistake, any failure, any storm, any crisis, any exhaustion, any depression, any fear, any worry, or any anxiety. The Lord is over it. Perspective. And when, when you get God's perspective, he'll put a little bit more life into you. The third step, the third step is be honest and vulnerable with where you are. Be real. Everybody say, be real. Be real. And I understand we live in a culture that we put a lot of facades on. We put a lot of masks. We don't like to be real. But look at verse 9 and 10. And the word came to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, wouldn't God know why Elijah is there? Well, of course he would. But God wants to know if Elijah knows why he's there. And so here's what Elijah says. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. None of that's true. <laughs> but he thinks it is. And he's vulnerable and he's honest with the Lord. He believes his life is over, his ministry is done, he's about to die, and he was a failure. That's what Elijah believed. And praise God that he was at least honest and vulnerable enough to say it. See, if, if Elijah was an American and God asked him that question, he would say, I'm fine, God, I'm fine. <laughs> and God would be looking at him and go, you are a liar. <laughs> Church, it... It's okay not to be okay. At Northland, it's okay not to be okay. You know, when I was going through that season and, and other times in my life where I've been discouraged and I've been trying to talk to Joni because Joni's my best friend. She really is. I love her. We do life together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's so hard for me to be vulnerable with my wife. And so, and she would say, I'm normally good at words. But whenever I'm trying to express where I'm at or what I'm feeling, I fumble over my words. I'm like, well, babe, you know, I'm just, um, you know, and, uh, you know, but, and she's like, just spit it out. <laughs> and there's times where I have to say, I do feel like a, a failure of, of a husband. I do feel like a failure of a father. I, I feel like I, I do, you know, burn the candle at both ends and I leave very, I mean, and I, I have to get it out. I have to be vulnerable. Like uh, over a year ago, I had to be vulnerable with where I'm at. I'm grieving. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I had to get it out. Like if I want the intimacy and I've, I, if I want the joy that not only comes from my heavenly father, but with those he has placed around me that love me the most, I have to learn vulnerability. I have to have the courage to show up and say, this is who I am in all of my mess. And so you, when you get to the point where you are burned out, you need to be vulnerable with someone. I'm not saying go and tell everybody, you know, air your dirty laundry to everybody who asks you, how you doing? Well, you got two hours? And I'm not telling you that, I'm not telling you that. Just telling you to be vulnerable to those who love you the most. And then when, when you're honest and vulnerable to starting with God, he's gonna pour a little bit more life into you. The fourth step is this, listen for and to God's voice. Listen for and to God's voice. So God tells him to go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and he's going to come by. 
So Elijah, uh, he's still in the cave. Now he's still in the cave, but he hears this great wind that tears through the mountain, breaking the mountain rocks, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. Earthquake shook the mountain, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Fire raged on the mountain, but the Lord was not in the fire. What's so fascinating about this is that in other places in the Old Testament, the Lord has been in the wind when he parted the Red Sea, uh, when he brought a wind to feed the children of Israel with dove, the Lord was in that. The Lord had been in an earthquake. Exodus 19, uh, when God's about to meet with the people, his people, he shakes the mountain with the earthquake. He was in the earthquake. Uh, God had been in the fire because he was leading them by a pillar of fire by night. He, uh, he appeared through a burning bush with Moses. So God has been in all of that, but here on the mountain, he was not in any of those. What was he in? The still, small voice. And the Lord, in a gentle whisper, and when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And here's what the gentle whisper of God told him. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus, when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. The gentle whisper of God told Elijah, I'm not done with you. Get back to doing what I've called you to do. You see, some of you, you might need the gentle whisper of God. See, I love our heavenly father because he knows exactly what we need. You know, it does remind me of the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and they went into hiding when they heard God's presence. What was the first thing that God says? Where are you? And I could, again, I, it wasn't this. Where are you, Adam and Eve? Oh my God. No, 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 no. It wasn't that. It's in the gentle voice of a father. Adam and Eve, where are you? Elijah. Elijah, gentle whisper. Where, where are you? Maybe some of you, you need the, the, the gentle whisper of a heavenly father that tells you this morning, I'm not mad at you. I'm not disappointed in you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I love you. I'm with you. I'm not done with you. I'm in control. I'm sovereign. I still have plans for you. And when you listen to that still small voice of God, he's going to pour and breathe more life back into you. And the last step is this. Elijah would tell us to find community. Look at verses 17 and 18. God says, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. He actually tells Elijah, I know you've been thinking that you've been all alone. I got 7,000 people that can be in your community. You are not alone. You do realize that we were created by, by God to be in community. We were never meant to do life on our own. 
We were never meant to live isolated. We were never meant to just live in our own little uh, kind of subdivision, in our own little enclave called a house. We were meant to do life with one another. And Elijah would tell you, when you feel like life has sucked the life out of you, one of the steps to you having God breathe life back into you is actually find community. And see, that's the only way. That's the only way when we get the life sucked out of us to allow the giver of life to breathe life back into us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are grateful that you are the giver of life. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, we're about to sing a song entitled Yahweh. Like I said earlier, Elijah's name actually means Yahweh is God. Now here's the cool thing about the the covenant name Yahweh is that Jews thought it was so sacred and so holy that they would never speak the name of Yahweh. They would always write it. But even then, what they would say is that the word Yahweh is an onomatopoeia for, or the way we breathe is an onomatopoeia for Yahweh. In other words, when we breathe in and we breathe out, many Jews would say we're speaking the name of God. So the very first breath that we take on our own as we come out of our mother's womb, we are speaking the name of God. The very last breath that we will take on planet earth when we inhale and then when we exhale, we will be speaking the name of God. And every breath in between, we will speak the name of God when we breathe in and when we breathe out. And so here just... In the next few moments, and when I count to three, I want us to practice that. This is not a yoga exercise. This is a spiritual exercise where we are, when we breathe in, we are thinking about Jesus. We're thinking about Yahweh, how he is the giver of life who has given us this breath. And what's so fascinating is that even research today would say that if you can have some focal, uh, focused time in breathing, then it can actually reset some things. And so how we can now even take breathing a step further, knowing that when we breathe in and when we breathe out, we are literally speaking the name of God. So I want us to breathe together this morning. So on the count of three, we're gonna take a deep inhale and then we're gonna hold it and then we're going to exhale. And as we're doing it, we're going to think about the giver of life. We're gonna think about the giver of breath and that's Jesus. So ready, one, two, three. Let's do it one more time. On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. God, we have to breathe you in and breathe you out. And that's what I pray for our church, that every breath that we take, we would let you breathe life into us. And when we are exhausted and depleted, that we would turn to you to fill us. And it's in your name we pray, our King, amen.